on episode 507 of Effin Shakespeare. Just kidding. No. On today's show, young adult novelist Kristen Ray explains the similarities between zombies and toddlers in their completely backed up by neuroscientist impact on the mind of a writer. And Foo gets existential. Yeah, I think I pressed something weird. Um, Don't press it. Don't know what it was. Did you did you like that one of my Tinder men thought your production was slick? Yeah, I was trying to figure out what what that little text. Yeah, he's nice. an English professor. So. Oh, really? Nice. If... <laughs> English professor. What? What? Can you really not hear Fu? No, I really can't hear Fu. He's using his sexy bedroom voice. I'm gonna bring vampires back. You watch. Hey, they're gonna they're gonna come back. I know. And, and werewolves. You gotta have werewolves. And toddler zombies. Now that is a marketable idea. You should see Kristen's eyes. No, she just, she just gave me a picture book idea. I'm Kate Martin-Williams. I'm Jessica Cole. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers, for writers. Kristen Ray is the author of two young adult novels for Bloomsbury's If Only series called Wish You Were Italian and What You Always Wanted. She's also a gifted graphic artist, book swag designer, photographer, and if her Instagram feed is to be believed, a legit gardener and baker. When she's not busy making us all feel completely inadequate, she's working on a new novel. Also, did I mention she was a talented figure skater? Yeah, so what have you been doing with your time? In all seriousness, her books have the ability to change your coffee shop into the Italian Riviera, your kitchen into your high school theater. What Kristen Ray does so effortlessly is remind you that being a kid, a young adult, is, was, nothing short of magic. You're going to have your first kiss. You're going to fall in love for the first time. And happily, there's no romanticizing that this will be the love of your life, and yet she never cheapens the emotions of her characters by saying this love in this moment is any less powerful for it. She asks readers to look back or look in and really see what's worth your time, worth your emotions, and to hold on to, go after, and dive into these moments. You know the ones because they're seared into your memory banks as sure as they're written into the pages of Ray's books. Ray, through her writing, reminds us at the end of the day when the accounts are in, these are the moments that are going to matter. We don't know how it happens or why, but that's unimportant. All that matters is that these are the moments that are going to make you, you. And that is the best kind of magic. Kristen Ray, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kate. So good to have you. It's so good to be here. I should start with a, a, a short disclaimer. Um, Kristen and I go way back. In the days where um, we lived another life, it seems like ages ago. So Kristen and I were skaters together. I think I might have actually taught like an axle class that you were in. Uh, I think you did. But I was like eight years old and Kristen was six. Yeah. <laughs> I was always like 
Like, you were such the celebrity at the rink to me. Like, when I'd see you skate, I was like, oh, my this gosh, I want to be her. I want to oh be her. Oh, no, it's so true. She's so good, y'all. I can't even. <laughs> now it sounds like I just introduced this idea so that you could, like, make me feel like <laughs> me. You know, I still, like, I see that performance you did, I think, when you were Clara oh in the Nutcracker. Oh and you did this crazy spin where, like, I can't even describe it. It was a backspin, and like you look like your body was broken, and you were just hanging there. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. It doesn't have a name. Um, it's like a layover. It's a flying camel layover. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Um, I always tried to do it, and I never could. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had the same feeling about another local skater. Her name was Stephanie Leatherwood, and I saw her do that spin when I was like 11 or something, and it had a lasting. Are there why there should be lots of YA books about figure skating? You know, I I interviewed Kate once actually because yeah. I have an idea for middle grade. Um, Ooh, yeah, I just haven't really sat down and made myself do it yet. We should do it. We, we should co-write it. We could be amazing. Or since it's your <laughs> such I a good idea. Such a good idea. Well, because I've I've been out of that world since I was eighteen. Yeah. So. But you never really leave. I mean, you're still great friends with Holly, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I still hang with my skater crowd a bunch, too. Well, and my kids skate, so sort of stuck. Oh, do they? How yeah. cute is that? It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Um, so that was a long preamble, but I'd like to um, I'd like to let the listeners get a, get some of your amazing stories. So um, could you read an excerpt for us? I could. So this is from Wish You Were Italian um, about a girl named Pippa who goes to Italy for the summer, for a summer program. And when she gets there, she decides she's not going to go to the program, but her parents think that she is. Never lie to your parents, folks. (laughs) (laughs) She has a list of goals to accomplish over the summer. With that goal checked off my list, I can relax and shop for myself, too. A few carts down, we find the most luscious scarves I've ever seen. Darren helps me pick one that manages to make my eyes an intense shade of green, and we find some for Morgan, Graham, and my mother because it would be a nice gesture. She might actually wear this one, too, because it's not hot pink and it was made by professionals. Darren keeps eyeing the fedoras until I make him try one on. I don't wear hats, he protests. I saw you drooling over it. Just try it. I pick out a dark gray one with thin white stripes and settle it on his head. You have too much hair. I'll bet if you chopped it, you would rock this hat. He takes it off without even looking in the mirror. I match his frown. What's wrong? He lets out a sigh. There's a reason I stopped wearing hats. Besides your hair, I say, attempting and failing to get him to smile. He coughs into the back of his hand. Remember that girl I told you about? Yes, but you never told me her name. She liked it when I wore hats. She said so all the time. Oh, I say. Well, did you wear them before you got together? He cocks his head to the side. Yeah. Then she stole it from you. When she broke your heart, she took part of who you are with her. Part of who I am? You're a hat guy, I explain. If you like them, wear them. Who cares if they remind you of her? You're done with her. You've moved on to better things. His mouth bites back a smile. You think so? He places the hat on his head and looks in the little mirror hanging from the cart. You're right, though. Too much hair. 
So maybe you can be a hat person again when you're not a hair person anymore. We laugh and he returns the hat to the hook before picking up a tan-colored newsboy cap with a dark flower off to the side just above the brim. Put this one on right now, he says, switching back to exaggerated giddy girl mode. You better cut that out or you're going to have me thinking things about you you probably don't want me to. I giggle and tug the hat down on my head. Darren adjusts it for me, off-centering the brim from my forehead. He takes me by the shoulders and turns me to the mirror, moving sections of my hair from behind it so it lies on my chest. My eyes take in the hat, which I secretly think I adore and must have, before they meet his gaze. Keeping his hands on my shoulders and his eyes locked on mine in the mirror, he tilts his head, leaning closer until his lips nearly brush against my ear. What kind of things? My whole body quivers as I close my eyes, unable to look at him looking at me that way if he's not going to do anything about it. I'm so far gone now, there's no turning back. So good at ending chapters. <laughs> Thank you. Just the, the problem is it makes such late nights for me because <laughs> I was rereading for the show and you know I would get to the end of a chapter and think, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. And of course, I can't because we have to find out. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, is that a practice skill? Is it just a special gift that the writing gods bestowed on you? A special gift. Yeah. I think I work pretty hard at it. Um, bef- when I probably before I started drafting that, uh, I had heard I don't know on a blog maybe by some other author who said, if you put your character to bed at the end of a chapter, your readers are going to go to bed too. And so I kind of took that and really like, applied it. I mean, obviously she meant more than just going to bed at the end of a chapter that. If you end it in a way that has too much closure, mm-hmm. uh, then they're not going to want to keep reading. And that is the goal, I think, of every author is to make it unputdownable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. that's a word. For sure. I think I sometimes struggle yeah, to know. But you kind of find your way towards the end. And... It does. It happens accidentally a lot. Yeah. I, I'll just be writing and then this magical sentence will just kind of come out. And even if I thought I was mid-chapter, sometimes I'm like, no, that's the end right there. <laughs> it just ended itself and, and I'll let it be. Yeah. Is that, um, just you call it finding a soft place to land. A soft place to land meaning tomorrow when you come back to the page. Yeah. yeah you know exactly where you're going. Does that happen to you? Do you stop writing them when you hit that perfect moment? Not usually, probably. I, and again, every day is different, but I, I try not to let myself stop. Like it's a lot of people can, can stop if they, they know where they're going to go the next day. And I think I would forget overnight, maybe. (laughs) I'm too afraid that, that my inspiration and my intent for, what what's to come next would leave me like kind of the same that if I wake up in the middle of the night and I have this idea that popped into my head I am not going to remember it in the morning that's why I keep paper next to my bed and I can write it down um so I would just I I keep going until as long as I have time so time is the biggest problem now with a toddler (laughs) so if I yeah I I just stop when I have to stand up again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I've been beckoned. Because your kid's about to jump off the top. Pretty much. Pretty. <laughs> that should be the title of an anthology about, um, you know, writing parents who write or something. 
What stop. title? Only stop when you have to stand up again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering what led you to YA because for me, it transports me back to that 17-year-old version of myself. Yeah, I think there's there's some of that. The the emotions of of being a teenager, I remember those so strongly. Everything is so urgent and, you know, life or death. And those first crushes and does he, doesn't he like me? And is he going to kiss me or not? You know, those, that that intense anticipation leading up to all those firsts, the first kiss, you know, with your first crush and those things. And I just love, I'm such a cheese ball. Like I'm so sappy and corny and I watch Hallmark like 24 seven. And I just, I love, I love the mushy stuff. And, and that is why I feel like with young adult, it's, there's something so different about exploring it from a teenager's perspective versus a you know 35 40 year old divorced woman who's trying to find love again you know that didn't appeal to me as much as even reading it like I like reading about the first intense budding romance and just starting out in life and not knowing where you're going with yourself mm-hmm. and um, even like Nina and Tate are super boring I mean not that you've written them in a boring way but it's like yeah, they're they're like, well, what does Darren say? Like they figured it all out. So like mm, no wonder oh, they yeah. don't have very, like a lot of narrative tension. I'm sure they do in their relationship, like when to get married, are they gonna have kids? Right. Like what's next? But yeah. That pales in comparison to what Darren and Pippa yeah. are Right. Because yeah. they've already got it figured out and who cares about that? Yeah. We absolutely. want you gotta see the change in somebody's life and their journey. What about YA conventions? How, how much did you know as you sat down to write uh, your first book, Wish You Were Italian? How much did you know and, and how much did you care about breaking those conventions or sticking to them? Well, I, f- I feel like, especially now, the rules kind of seem to change like every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that you want like to stick to <laughs> Uh, I really just wrote the book that I wanted. Uh, I wrote, I wrote what I wanted to read. I wrote what I wanted to experience. Uh, since going to Italy in two thousand nine, with you didn't fr- fall in love with Darren Chris <laughs> in Italy. Come home. Oh my gosh, you said his name. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why? How did you? Did I tell you that I no, named him after him? No, it's in your. Oh, it is. Okay, okay. So here's here's the like. Yeah, I know what she's talking. Here's about. the funny reason why um, I named him that because I just had not even a placeholder name for Darren. I think I just had like a dotted line or something, like or insert boy name here. That's that's an important thing, right? And I didn't want something too strange. And I I was listening. My I had my music on shuffle, and I saw this picture of Darren Chris come up because I had like his EP which is very acoustic and very yeah I didn't like, even know he had an album yeah, like before Glee I think and he had so much crazy curly hair 
and I was like, wow, okay, Darren's kind of a normal name in a way. Uh-huh. Um, and I knew I knew a couple growing up, and I'm like, none of them make me think bad things. Because sometimes, <laughs> yes. you know, you think of a name, and you're like, no, I can't name a character that, because I'm always going to think about this person who drove me crazy. My husband wanted to name our um, boy child Graham, and this dude in my third grade class was named Graham, and he ate his boogers. Oh, no! <laughs> Eric's like, who? What? <laughs> No, I'm, like, no. I'm with you though. I would have yeah. thought about that all the time. And then when your kids started eating boogers, you'd be like, "This is all your fault, Graham." <laughs> <laughs> you curse them on. Oh. So you were like, you know, I don't care about conventions. I'm just going to write this story, and it's going to be what it's going to be. Did you know? Like, did you actively know you were writing YA and you were going to yes. sell this book? And that was the oh, I mean, you hope to sell. That was the dream. But the dream was to, especially going to so many author events and to see how readers connected with these authors about their stories, to to write something that means something to somebody. That's what I wanted, and I wanted to be able to talk about these characters as if they were real people to people who had read them. And, you know, some of the best compliments that I've gotten are in reviews that I've read that that say, oh, reading this has inspired me to be more brave. And, mm-hmm. you know, some other things, things that I'm like, I didn't even know that I wrote that in my <laughs> book, but I'm glad you got that out of it. Yeah. If it meant that to you, then that's great. And and it's really, a, it's an odd feeling to be on that side and to have someone look at you in the eye and say, I just loved your book and I couldn't wait to buy the second one. Will you sign it for me? And I mean, mm. it's so bizarre. It's amazing. So great. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of following rules or not, um, I did sort of kill somebody off in, in my contemporary romance. And I, I mean, it's been out for three years, so I'm sorry if it spoils that for someone. Um, Spoiler alert. Spoiler, totally. <laughs> uh, but it it was very personal to me because the way that I wrote it um, is exactly what happened to somebody very close to me. And it came out of nowhere, like death does, you know, that doesn't, death never says, is now a convenient time for me to burden you? Excuse me. Um, yeah. And, and I did get a lot of criticism with that. And even from agents who were like, I can't handle this. It doesn't belong. It comes out of nowhere. I'm like, death does that, doesn't it? Like, here's Are you a- not allowed? <laughs> well, I guess that it made it a little heavier than they thought that it yeah, was. For, contem- for contemporary, contemporary romance, romance, like a rom-com. And I'm like, well, yes, but like, that's that's reality. Like, here's your dose of reality. Like, I don't know. Like, and it was important to me. And it was also the catalyst for my main character to, to heal her relationship with her mother. And I didn't know how to go about it without something big Yeah. and, and something real. And like mother daughter relationships are a big thing to me and all the books that I write pretty much. Um, cause I'm very close to my mom cause I'm an only child. I think especially is you know, that's what we had. We had each other a mm-hmm. lot of times. And, uh, so I think exploring the different situations of that and like what, what can hurt it and what can help it. And so, yeah, I did, I guess, kind of break that now, role in a way. <laughs> was that something that your agent spoke to you about or did it happen on the editorial level or was it sort of which part? The part where people this is say, too heavy. Oh, I had people agents like say I've really loved it except this part if you're willing to take it out we can talk and I'm like nope and you know you kind of have to stick to your guns you had the cojones to say no yeah I did man that's amazing 
That's because your first book. Well, my That's first book. I know. But first. at the same time, like, if it doesn't sit with you that well, like, are they the right person for you? If they can't champion the work that, that means something important to you, like, because there's some things that they told me, you know, you might need, because I like the journal things, the journal entries or whatever, they, they used to be... I'm trying to think of how I had it and how it is now. Kristen, are they kind of out? Interrupts the narrative with, um, uh, you know, handwritten versions right. of the the journal that Pippa, her protagonist, is keeping on her trip to. So now they're the kind Italy. of taken out and like put in the front, right? Yeah. And before like the line... she used to like sit down and then like like Open do like it, they were in the within the narrative itself, mm-hmm. and now like one of the agents suggested that I take that out, like move mm-hmm. it. And restructure it and it changed so much to me and she didn't end up offering but she she helped me make a stronger book um, mm-hmm. and I listen you know you listen to things that really sit right with you and you're like yeah I can see that you you're right you know but this then still fits my vision this still fits my vision right and it's gonna make it stronger and you know what you're talking about but something like that the other big part like them asking me to take it out and I think there might have been some editors who had problems with it too and I'm like this is my story <laughs> like sorry. sorry this is the thing like what could I have changed it like too and still have that same impact I didn't see it can you tell the story of uh, finding your agent you have this like sort of exotic bird of a story it does it sounds sounds totally (laughs) fake doesn't it dream yeah uh well so i signed with uh marietta zacker of what's now the galt and zacker literary agency um back in 2012 and she she really did pull me out of the slush pile so what that means for people who haven't started querying yet is that if you don't have any connections with with any agents you just give them a cold query you don't have a referral of someone, one of their clients saying, here's my friend who wrote this book. So I didn't have that. I just filled out the form on her website and crossed my fingers. <laughs> After um, writing how many queries? Uh, well, total, there was 121. So my idea mm-hmm. is to have like a scoreboard in the studio <laughs> where we like put all the oh, I win. in there and like Kristen would be the top. We probably shouldn't even do it Although, now because it's like unachievable. I, I was fortunate that I only queried one book. Like a lot, there's a lot of people I know who have tried with several books before and you know, I, I had written one before and I knew it was junk. So I didn't even try because yeah. I just couldn't stomach it and I knew that it wasn't good enough. So I put that much more effort into my next one. So over almost a year, I worked on Wish You Were Italian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had Jennifer Matu on the show two weeks ago, and she said she wrote two books, got an agent, and they and neither of them sold. Mm-hmm. Like he was a great agent, and they just it was the wrong time, wrong book, mm-hmm. wrong time. And that happens to a lot of people I know. Didn't she got a different agent. She yeah. wrote another book and got a different agent. Yeah. And sold. Yeah. So. And it, it's again, it's the book at the time and. And then a lot of it, too, I'm learning, like, with the connections that my agent has, like, they're developing 
relationships with editors at these publishing houses and like you are depending on that too because they know their personalities they know how you would work with them they're looking at that too they know what they're looking for and if your work fits in that and that's actually something that that's why my first book was published was because of the relationship my agent had with my first editor because my editor called my agent and said hey we're starting this romance line that's about this do you have any books uh, that fit and she sent her my book and wow. how long after you had um signed with marietta did that happen i went on submission like i signed with her on wednesday and by monday we were on submission <laughs> i know <laughs> And that is because it's it's totally fake and no, (laughs) it's so weird. And so that was in uh, October and I think January, February time is when I went to acquisitions with Bloomsbury, which takes a while. And they were having all this terrible weather and they kept having to delay the meetings and because people couldn't get to work and, you know, um, so yeah, I had to wait for a long time. And then I think on my... On my birthday or close to it, I think my 30th birthday maybe is when I talked to my editor for the first time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And they're in New York? Yes, they, yeah, most of them are up there. So that was the winter of 2014, 2015. They are a, I think the main branch is in England. Mm -hmm. Mm. So the, the England branch of Bloomsbury um, they publish like the Harry Potter books over there. Wow. I think Scholastic does them over here. here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the, the U.S. branch. Okay. Back up and tell the story about the, the so you get the query letter off to Marietta. Yes, well, you would, you she would, has a form on her website um, that I, what were you saying? You had, you, you had already gotten some interest. I did. Um, I did a Twitter pitch. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, some random thing one morning when I woke up, my friend was like, I'm, I'm trying to summarize my book in a Twitter pitch and use this hashtag and agents will, they're reading this hashtag and they're looking for people, you know, and if they like respond to you or like it or whatever, then I think that means you're supposed to submit to them like your first 50 pages or whatever. Here's the deal. Like I write novels because I can't write short form. I know. It's the worst. It's like a circle of yourself into 140 characters. Come on. You're kind of like (laughs) just combining things together. Like I think I compared, like I probably said, Anna and the French Kiss meets 13 Little Blue Envelopes. You know, like I just took Mm. two books that were popular at the time and and I I said a couple other little things with the goal of falling in love with an Italian or something, whatever. And, And I got a little bit of interest there. And then she kept requesting more and more pages and then the whole thing. And uh, she was like gushing about it like publicly or something, this this agent. And I was like, wow, well, that's kind of nerve wracking. Like, what does she think? But I was still actively querying. Like, you know, I was going query rabid as, as my friend and I say because <laughs> I was losing so much confidence in the book because I had had some R&Rs like revise and resubmit from some agents who gave me some great feedback and I, I revised with them and sent it back and it just ne- wasn't necessarily right for them still, but it was still a stronger book and I was just going to be like, I'm just going to send it out to everyone on my list because what do I have to lose? Uh-huh. 
And you were avoiding Marietta at the point. I was avoiding her because she was like the golden agent that I didn't think I deserved. And I know. And she was closed to queries for some of that time too. And like right when I got the nerve to do it, she was closed. And I was like, no. And, And I put an alert. And I used this program called Query Tracker to look up agents and to track my my system and who I send out to and what if they respond and I set an alert on her uh, to notify me when she was reopened so that morning um, that she reopened I sent my thing and I got a request to read the whole thing I think uh, but that, that afternoon same day. pardon wow. that same day the same day that afternoon I got my first offer from the Twitter pitch um, oh agent I know and so then you have to... In, and it was like a moth to a flame, yes? It was weird, yes, a moth to the flame. Who is this Kristen Ray? <laughs> I need to represent uh, Yes, yeah, so then you are you kind of use this very fancy etiquette, you know, to reply to the people who have your book and inform them that you have an offer, but you're still interested in, you know, hearing their opinion. And so within a week, I had six, I had talked to six agents on the phone and when I had made up my mind to sign with Marietta because she was perfect for me, um, I had gotten an email for a seventh phone call, and I was like, mm, "I'm sorry, I can't, I can't handle anymore. <laughs> I've made up my mind." <laughs> said yes to me. I know I, that was the most stressful week of my life. Like I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. And how much support did you have from? I mean, you're a this was your first mm-hmm. novel. How much support did you have from other people as to like, how do I pick my agent? How do I know? I mean, because oh. most of us are just hoping like one person will call right. us back. Well, know? I had, yes, and I had some some phone calls with a couple agented friends who had gone through the process before. And I'm like, what am I supposed to ask them? Because in, at this point, like, you're sort of interviewing them. Like, you're amazed that they're interested in you, but do you work well with them? Like... Do they know their stuff? And I'm trying to think of some of the questions I asked. Like, um, I asked, are there any publishing houses you're already thinking I could be a good fit? Like, you just kind of see what they're thinking for you and does their their vision for your book line up with what you're hoping for? Um, which houses have you sold to recently is a good one to, to see. Are they, current, are they actively making sales? Uh, would you still support me if I wrote outside of my current genre? You know, yeah, is there because what if I wanted question. to write something else later? And um, with Marietta, as soon as long as I write a young adult or younger, she doesn't represent adult. But whatever I work on, if as long as you know she thinks that it's something worth pitching to people, she will gladly support me with that. So that's nice. Yeah. So that's my crazy weird fake sounding but <laughs> real story of how I sold my first well I got a two book deal up front which is nice within the same romance line with the if only series mm-hmm. right and is the third is the book you're working on now or that you have you've got two books out that I have two books shot. out so my first book launched the line and my last book ended oh, the line you bookended. I bookended it yeah so they're not working oh. on those uh was that d- like designed that way no just happened I'm like I started it and I you killed are it you're making everything up this whole thing is made up none of this is true it's like Orson Welles oh. um 
and so the third book is not going to be a part of that series. It's no, and it, I mean, I haven't sold anything else, technically, so. Is it contemporary romance? Maybe. Can you give us a tidbit? I was just being cagey. Well. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe it's vampires. Oh, wouldn't that be something? If I'm, I'm going to bring vampires back. You watch. Hey, they're going to they're gonna come back. I know. And, and werewolves. you got to have werewolves. werewolves in there. And toddler zombies. Now that is a marketable she idea. You should see Kristen's eyes. <laughs> no, just she, just, she just gave me a picture book idea. I'm telling <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. So I did actually recently finish a young adult, a, another contemporary romance. Um, it's a little more serious than the ones I've done before. And, and I've actually struggled with that this summer with my agent going back and forth and revising it with her notes um, because I think – it was heading in a direction that was more serious than I wanted mm-hmm. initially, but I think, I mean, I'm still waiting to hear what she thinks about it at this point in time, but I think it needed that kick to be a little heavier, and I was resisting it because I just wanted it to be this light-hearted, funny thing, which it is that. It has a lot of funny moments in my characters, crazier than Maddie, probably. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Quirky, maybe, is a word. Um, obsessed with romance novels. And, um, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, so Maddie is the protagonist in her second novel, um, What You Always Wanted, which um, I was talking to Jess on the way in about this book, and the, one of the things I love about how you wrote Maddie, um, just as a preface, Maddie is uh, definitely more modest than your typical high school girl, I would think. Um, she's very into classic, classic Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, the boyfriend in her head is Gene Kelly, and mm-hmm. no one's going to stand up to that sort of standard. And so the thing you do is you manage to make her modest and, you know, I guess some would quote-unquote call it prudish, except it's all based on her love for classic movies. So it's this character trait that has some, like, grounding and in her upbringing instead of just like this character trait that an author like sort of imposed Mm -hmm. on her and I think it made her very endearing to me in a way that I wouldn't have been had it just been sort of like some modest kid that I couldn't Mm -hmm. connect with Mm -hmm. does that make sense I gave her a thing a quirk you gave her a quirk (laughs) and it's great thank you well if in doubt Gene Kelly I think hello I love you (laughs) (laughs) yeah he was my my first love I mean if you like, I don't know, I just grew up exposed to the classics, you know, TCM was always on at our house, Turner Classic Movies, and I was always watching all these, and it was it was one of those dreams of mine to see Singing in the Rain, like, on a big screen, and actually did get to do that, because uh, they, uh, Cinemark, like, brought it to the screen, Oh, nice. um, I think while I was either while I was drafting or so then it has to go in the story. It did happen, like yeah. Uh, ugh, it just I got chills. I think I went to see it twice when it was playing. Just it's great. I mean it's to see. Too. I don't know. I just love that they're bringing back these old movies. Like, and then how? I, I, how? How is anyone going to compare to those guys? It's hard, but <laughs> yeah. you know the reality is that those are movies. And they weren't like that in real life. Sure. Um, yeah. 
but you know I don't think I really hit on that but I was thinking about it the whole time that really I had her focus on the gentleman on the screen um, and all these you know the debonair you know close the door kind of romance yeah. and st- leaving more to the imagination than actually seeing it on the page and right. so I, I just had her she knew what she wanted and she wasn't going to back down but she did have to to learn that you can't really turn people into what you want but you can you can love the things about them that make them them mm-hmm. have you read the uh, Zadie Smith article on uh, writing lessons what's it uh Dance lessons for Dance writers. Lessons for writers. Oh gosh, I'll I'll send you a link. Okay. It's so good, um, but it has one of my favorite quotes about um, writing advice. Sort of my motivational quotes that I use when I'm in the trenches or down in the dumps, <laughs> the case may be. Um, <laughs> but it's not even from it's not even from a writer. It's from um, Martha Graham, uh, and she says there is a vitality, a life force an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there's only one of you in all of time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and it will be lost. The world will not have it. It's not your business to determine how good it is, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. It's your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. I like that. And the whole piece is about these dancers who have like sort of shaped the way that we see physical movement and action, you know, pop culture, Prince and Michael Jackson, but also um, um, Brishnikov and Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly, all these, all these people. Um, and that's what I think we share is, that's what we share in common with all artists, you know, is that whatever vision you have in you is the one that needs to be out in the world because you're the only one who can do right. it. And I just think that's so so motivating. And something I see, like, I, I mean, I think in so many words, that's what your characters are saying to each other. That's what Maddie was trying to say to the guy's name I lost. Jesse? <laughs> I can't remember Jesse. That's what Maddie is trying to say to Jesse to get him to tap dance out in the open. Um, such a great, such a great story. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Um, so what's your writing ritual? Like, how do you make time in your day for this to happen, for the spirits to move you? (laughs) I do not have a writing ritual. (laughs) My toddler doesn't allow it. Your baby zombie? My baby zombie does not allow it. Yeah, no, she did. She stole my brain. She ate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and (laughs) I'm still waiting for most of that to come back, I think, um, Really, the past year, I think I've kind of been able to focus again, and but it's still it's slow and it's hard, and I I just write when I can, where I can, whether it's on paper, whether I'm dictating to my phone while I'm driving, um, whether it's with a, my kid punching buttons on my laptop with me, um, yeah, I just. I mean, really, when she's home and awake, writing is a joke. Like, I, I, I have to get up every five minutes for her, for the dog, for the laundry buzzer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do have to sort of take priority sometimes of my writing life if I want to get it done and I need to carve out that time and sit somewhere 
where I mean I can write without headphones in a busy Starbucks and get more done than I can and I know. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. This is like this is for real. Yeah, this is, is real. The struggle is real. I think like it, you know, back before kids, I had this like precious notion that I needed like my four hours from six to ten, where the spirits would move me, and I would write freely, and then I would take a break, and from twelve to two, I would do this and revise, and it would all work out perfectly. And then like in that, there was this ready-made excuse for like me not writing because something was out of alignment mm-hmm. you know like Neptune was in the wrong like oh yeah my desk is messy I can't yeah, work until just, I clean the whole house wrong <laughs> creamer at, you know Starbucks or whatever and so like it, I think now it makes me more um diligent Mm -hmm. less freaking oh yeah because you when you have the time to sit and do it you have to work or you're not going to get any progress made yeah yeah and I write again anywhere and anywhere on in my bed and on the couch like I have this nice pretty white pottery barn desk that is like my pride and joy that I bought with my advance money for my first book (laughs) so it's like my big purchase (laughs) uh and yeah I I don't write at it at all but I, I think I almost think it's too structured now to sit there and write mm-hmm. at a desk. I can do other stuff there. I can craft on it and I can do my designs. I design swag for other authors and stuff, bookmarks and stuff like that. But yeah, writing does not happen there. No, yeah, I get it. I get it. You have to be uncomfortable and maybe so. Have like 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> see, and I do set my timer for 15 minutes because I, I kind of race myself to see which Kate taught me how to set the timer, but she did an hour and now I'm down to 15, 15 minutes. minutes. And you which said I, Jess. Yeah, I that. learned that. We call, it's called BTC. Yeah, and my Jess. friend, Who did my you friend Sue Haddon taught me when she was writing her. Th- I have to give props to her always. Thank I didn't you, make Sue. it up. I mean, of course, she didn't make it up either, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, she's she's English, and she was writing her master's thesis, and I don't know where she came upon it, but it really, really helped her. And so when I was writing my dissertation, she told me, and then I told Kate, and now now it's a global movement. It is. There's there's <laughs> authors on Twitter that they use the hashtag Word War, mm. and they they war each other like and that's race, awesome. Like someone says, "All right, let's start our word war," and um, and you say one, two, three, go, or whatever. You set the timer for however long, and then everyone reports how many words that they wrote. And that's yeah, awesome. And, you one. and you have to like do a screenshot so you're not lying. <laughs> I didn't. I don't think they got that technical with it. And I only jumped in a few times back, probably before I had my kid. But mm-hmm. now I'd be like two hours later. Oh yeah, I was supposed to report, and I, yeah. I wrote twenty five words. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I'm minus 10 because I, I deleted half of what I did yesterday. Oh, and... <laughs> yeah, that does not count. That does not count towards your total. Oh, my God. So, so are any... go ahead, Jess. Oh, I was going to ask the Shakespeare question. Oh, go for it. What were you going to say? Nothing. I was going to get Jessica, Jessica, Kristen, to tell the chocolate story. I was the office story? Any other, um, like, motivational writing technique. So I've tried to bribe myself sometimes with uh, putting out, you know, Cadbury mini eggs or I line them up right on my, in front of my screen and between my keys and the screen. I'm like, okay, every hundred words, I get to eat a morsel, but you know, 10 words in, they're all gone. I just eat them like a maniac while staring at the screen. Like, I don't know what life is. (laughs) 
here. Writing is hard, man. This chocolate's yummy. <laughs> Look how much that's a donut. So, you know, our podcast is called Effing Shakespeare. Um, basically because even when, when we were trying to figure out what to name the podcast, everything we came up with was like, oh, yeah, that. Who wrote that? Oh, right, Shakespeare. Um, just like little phrases or like, I don't know, yeah, any two words. a lot of our words together, basically. Yeah. Just think of any two words together and Shakespeare wrote them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I ran. Um, well, no, that's the 80, That's the flock of seagulls. I don't want to take away from them. Um, <laughs> Musical but... geniuses. <laughs> Lyrical geniuses that they were. So, yeah, that they're basically like maybe 36 dramatic situations or maybe it's more like three and no rate. Maybe it's just one. Um, basically, they've all been written before. So um, and we're all just putting our own details into these universal stories. Um, but if you could point or if you had to point to one work of Shakespeare plays or sonnets, um, that most influences your writing, what would it be? A writer friend and I were actually just talking about uh, Shakespeare the other day and how he wrote for the masses and how, so some people now they turn up their nose at commercial fiction and they don't mm. think that it's fancy enough or intellectual enough or whatever, but he wrote for everyone and more specifically to entertain them. And I think that's that's why I write. Like... Mm. Um, I, an author friend of mine once told me something that her agent shared with her and I'm paraphrasing, but she said, life is hard enough. Reading should be a joy. And, and I like that. I like, I like the happy endings, which obviously that wasn't a goal for Shakespeare, but, um, (laughs) I, I like the, the heart fluttering scenes that stick with people and to write characters that, that feel like they could be real. Um, and I like, I like writing t- for a, a wide variety of people. Like I, I hope that it would appeal to to people who like to read any type of genre, like to the masses. Like if it was good enough for Shakespeare to write commercial fiction, then mm-hmm. it's good enough for me. <laughs> nice answer. I think she's the only yeah. podcast guest that hasn't said Hamlet. So another star next to no. To me, Hamlet is just the the movie where Mel Gibson kisses the woman who played his mom. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say Hamlet. Oh, Painted by Mel as, as most things. No, when you're in high school and you have to watch that at school, you know, those things burn mm-hmm. into your yeah. mind. <laughs> That's the thing that sticks. Your poor English teacher is like, ah, that is not why we were watching this. <laughs> I wonder if Jen- Jennifer Matthew. God, I keep Mathieu. saying it. God bless America. Mathieu. You can say it the French way. You can say it Mathieu. No, I can't. Jessica, I can't even say it. Croissant. Well, I've <laughs> known her for years, so I know how to say it. Mathieu. Yes. Mathieu. Mathieu. <laughs> Jennifer Mathieu. Welcome to the podcast. I don't even remember what I was about to say. Hamlet. Oh, if she... If she um got tired of no she teaches a fellow oh that's right so she probably doesn't she 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 doesn't have to show that scene where mel kisses glenn close seriously depressing but no mother kissing 
No, no mother kissing. <laughs> no mother making out. Any books after that you read after you finished Wish You Were Italian that helped you pick up the proverbial pen for uh, what you always wanted, your second novel? Uh, well, I think my second book had been in my head for so long because I kind of wrote a lot of myself in that that I didn't totally need a boost to actually get back on the, the horse. <laughs> uh, but some books that I read around that time were books like Lola and the Boy Next Door by Stephanie Perkins and mm-hmm. Sean Griswold's Head by Lindsay Levitt. So here's what a weird a great title. Yeah, isn't that funny? Sean so this girl sits behind Sean Griswold in school and looks at his head all the time. And <laughs> my third grade. I know someone who that. said that she fell in love with someone by looking at the back of her neck or his neck. Like rather. in real life or in fiction? Yeah, that doesn't okay. exist. This is someone in grad school, not like a, <laughs> not like a middle schooler. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so interesting thing about Stephanie Perkins and Lindsay Levitt um, they kind of helped start my whole journey in a way like I so I had started going to book festivals and stuff and uh, getting to know um, different writers and stuff by going to all these events but so I went to Houston Teen Book Con in 2011 and I went to the sit on the contemporary panel, which they were on. And then that's when it really hit me that I should be writing contemporary. Because up to that point, paranormal was so big. Uh, and the werewolves. For, <laughs> and so I was werewolves. trying to write some kind of weird ghosty thing. And it just wasn't clicking. And after hearing them speak about realistic fiction, I was like, I think I need to try that. Um, and, you know, I did get to talk to them afterwards and have them sign my books and gush, you know, with all the other teenagers. And here's this adult <laughs> woman in there with them. But um, so the day after I met them and heard them speak, I started writing Wish You Were Italian. Oh, nice. And then so, it, you know, just over a year later, I'd finished the book and get an agent with it. And then in May of 2014, I could then walk into a bookstore and find my book on the shelf with a blurb from wow. Lindsay Levitt. Stop. So she blurred no. my book. So she actually read it. And what she had to say about it was used in the promotion of my book. I think it's even on the back. Yes. No, that's not hers. Yes, it is. A charming and addictive read. Devour this delicious treat like a double scoop of gelato. <laughs> yes, that's on mine. That's on mine, too. On my copy also. <laughs> So cool. I, I even got to do an event with her in Houston, oh, and I told her that story, which she thought was pretty cute. Um, <laughs> and what's funny is I've designed bookmarks for her subsequent books after that, which is funny. Um, and in 2016, so last year when my second book came out, I got to be on a panel at Houston Teen Book Con, Yay. and I was kind of overwhelmed with emotion because it felt like everything had come full circle, yeah. and here I am back at Houston Teen Book Con, but I was the one... signing books and so you know going to author events and book festivals and soaking it all up it can literally change your life and you never know where you might be inspired oh my gosh wow incredible story or what help you'll get or what yeah Yeah. wow dating for writers Ooh. this is all the stuff that's like not in your author bio okay um so short answers boom 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 i'll ask a question and then jessica will ask a question 
if okay. she can hear me on her microphone today. <laughs> okay, here we go. If I did a search and find in your Word docs, what fancy word would I find you use or overuse? Does it have to be fancy? Any word. Just. <laughs> oh, God, I do that too. What word do you hate to hear misused and or mispronounced? What's that? I need an example. <laughs> People say Jennifer's sleep. was espresso instead of espresso. Oh. Um, how about supposedly? <laughs> oh, with an N? An N, yeah. Oh, I haven't heard of an N. I hear supposedly all the time. Yeah. Um, what's the title of the Word doc last open on your desktop? I can't say it. <laughs> Secret. If you weren't a writer, you'd be a? Baker. Book that's on. Oh, I forgot to mention that in your bio. Oh, it's okay. A baker and a gardener. That's what this is for. God. Okay, book that's on your coffee table. Oh, um, Little Beach Street Bakery by Jenny Colgan. Book that's on your nightstand. The Story Spinner by Becky Wallace. Book that's on the back of your toilet. Martha Stewart Living Magazine. <laughs> I know it. That's awesome. That's my favorite. Your on writing Bible. I think C. Jane Wright. Is that the title mm. of uh, Sarah Malinowski? I can't say her name. I don't know she, that one, Jess. Do you know that one? It's a book about how to write chick lit. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. A favorite place to read? Snuggled on my couch under a vintage quilt that I just bought and my mom washed for me because I don't know how. <laughs> I love vintage quilts. I'm jealous. Do you have a favorite writer with three names? Writer with three names. Um, I guess we could use like abbreviated names too, like C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien. Or, or J.K. The... Rowling. That works. <laughs> Here we go, J.K. Rowling. Uh, the writer you would most like to have dessert with? Mm. Sophie Kinsella. Yeah. The writer you'd most like to sleep with. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasy. Fantasy only. What's, what, what's your answer? Oh, my God. John Christian. <laughs> yes, John Christian. <laughs> yes, that is Kate's answer. Yes. Oh, God. I would love that to do that. Kate. <laughs> Kate. <laughs> Only if I could get a drink first. A John Grisham drink. A John Grisham drink, which is J&B and gin. That's not a drink. That's just a mess in a glass. I have zero answer for this. <laughs> she pleads the fifth. Pleading the fifth. She pleads the fifth. I can't think about, I mean, no, sorry. <laughs> uh, Ryder, you must like to have a beer with. I don't like beer. Oh my God, Kristen. It tastes like urine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Predator you'd most like to get a drink with? I don't like beer either. I can't. I have to be really, I have to be, like, doing yard work all so day. So I would most you know, likely like want August to, to even consider it. And then usually I'd rather have water. Because I don't like alcohol either. <laughs> I don't have a refined palate, mm-hmm. I say. Mm-hmm. Coffee and tea tastes like dirt. Beer tastes like urine. <laughs> alcohol tastes like armpit. Um, <laughs> so my Shirley Temple drinker and I would be... <laughs> I'm gonna. I guess I'm gonna say Stephanie Perkins because she kind of helped inspire me to. I'd like to just sit and chat about our journeys. <laughs> A time in your life when you felt worst about your craft. Um, every day it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your biggest writing success. Every day. I think every time I finish, every time I write the end, I feel very accomplished and like, oh my gosh, I did it. As you should. Yes. And then I go get a cupcake. <laughs> Professionally made. <laughs> so I don't have to do dishes. <laughs> All right. Best piece of writing advice you ever got? Read a lot. And lastly, book that changed your life. I guess I'm going to have to go with my buddy. Uh, Stephanie Perkins and say Anna yeah. and the French Kiss yes. uh, because that really I was like if she can write a book set in France without having been there and I make it completely believable and immersive I can surely write a book about Italy having been and I just put on my, my big girl pants and <laughs> I made myself do it well, Kristen Ray, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thanks Thank for you. driving 61 miles across the sprawling In the same town. metropolis same city. Yes, to be yeah. here with us. We really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you by Bloomsday Writing and Publishing. Write to be read. Find out more about partner publishing and cooperative writing at bloomsdaywriting.com. And by our friends at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, recording, graphic design, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. Production assistance and audio editing by Dook Liu. Our social media and marketing maven is Paula Liu. And our chief audio, visual, graphic, and everything else engineer is Fu Liu, who constantly reminds us the perfect is the enemy of the good and who loves us despite the fact that we consistently ignore him at our own peril. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bloomsday Writer. Show us some love, subscribe to our show, and leave a review on iTunes. <laughs>